And this is Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace, expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Dear God, we just thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross. We just pray that you would be with us today during the service and that we would just be fully attentive to what you're speaking to us. We just pray for all of our friends and family that's not here today or might not know you yet. We just pray that we would faithfully pray for them, that they would come to know you. We just lift up everybody that's sick and hurting. We just pray that we would just have the faith to realize that you are in control. We just pray that we would know that you are good always, that we would look for the good in life by your power. We thank you and we love you. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. For those of you that don't know me, I am Scott Bartlett, and I attend Loon Mountain Ministry. I'm not an assistant pastor or anything, but I think what's the sign of a healthy church is one that uh, can draw upon, upon its members to uh, to uh, to preach when need be. And uh, yeah, I don't need that. So thank you, Sean. Uh, uh, so like the other day we had you no know, Jose has preached here, Billy has and, and maybe some that have forgotten and which is a good thing. And uh so Marcus can go on a trip or has to be away and uh, it's all good. Um so Marcus did tell me that uh, uh he thought the church was getting too big, so Scott would you do the sermon? So I think that'll help think things out. And uh um and uh, Marcus also told me that uh, the church needs a wake-up call, so uh, I'll do that when the sermon's over. So uh, I think you that. So uh, when Marcus asked me to preach, oh, before I forget, uh, Sharon did tell me that uh, she forgot to say any. Most of you know this, but uh, there is lunch after church, so feel free to stay. We'd love to have you as part of what we do here, the fellowship, and so forth. So. Uh, please stay and have lunch with us. And uh, but Marcus did ask me to preach a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I knew exactly what I wanted to preach on, and that is eternal security. I, I happen to be reading uh, a book by Charles Stanley, Eternal Security, and a book Confident in Christ by Robert Wilkin. And uh, I'm just kind of into that right now, being eternally secure. And I think before we um, start, we have to, I think, understand what our Christian faith is about. What, what do we believe? And so uh, I think many of you have uh, heard this or are familiar with this technique, and I'll be like the man on the street right now. And, I'm, and I did this in my high school, Sunday school class years ago, and I'd each ask each individual student, I'd come up and say, okay, do you believe in God? 
Do you believe in God? Do you do? Okay. Um, is there a heaven or a hell? Is there a hell? There's a heaven? Okay, so we're, we're, we're building off of this. And uh, where will you be going? Heaven or hell? Where are you going to be going? Heaven. You're going to go to heaven. Why? Why are you going to go to heaven? Why? Why do you think you're going to go to heaven? What makes you so special that you're going to go to heaven? I'm making this difficult for him. It's all part of the show, you know. You want more time? Why do you think you're going to go? Because it's getting good. Should we go to commercial break? <laughs> should I go to someone else right now? I should? Okay, I should go to someone else. I don't, I don't want to keep it all in the family, so I'll, I'll spread it around. Who, any other, who else should I ask? Oh, my God, nobody else wants to be asked. Uh, I'll, I'll ask John. John. Is there, is there a God? Okay. Is there heaven or a hell? Where do you think you're going? Why? Right answer. <laughs> you can all go home. I'm going to have lunch first. No. <laughs> it is, in many ways, so simple. When Jesus had fed the 5,000 and he had walked on water, did many miraculous things, that the crowds followed him. And um, I love this. I've shared this with our missional community group, and they've heard me repeat these verses a number of times. And the people asked Jesus, here you can envision these crowds of people, and they say, what must we do to do the work God requires? Now, if that was me, I mean, if you believe in a God, and you want to know, what does God require of me? If he's a, an iron-fisted, mean God, I want to know that, and I want to be in his good graces to, you know, I want to be okay for eternity, you know. And Jesus answered, the work of God is this. Now, I would be on the edge of my chair. If God, now, Jesus himself is going to answer this question. What are the works that, that God requires? What does he require? Does anyone know that answer? What does God require of us? What works to believe in the one he sent? It didn't say go out and do good works. He didn't go say, go help little old ladies across the street, give money to the poor, attend church, believe in the one he sent. And in verse 40 of that same chapter, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall what? Have eternal life. And we're not talking about just believing in the existence of God. God, this is at trusting him. Because people have heard about Jesus, they've heard about God, and they, they know that. But we as Christians, true believers, we believe that I have no other alternative, no other option but to have faith in Him. He has done it all. I cannot add or subtract anything to what Christ has done on the cross. And I think that's a good starting point to know that this is what God has done for us. It is huge. And you see, God has to be true to himself. God cannot deny himself. He does not make up arbitrary rules because I think I'll make 
human beings' lives miserable. He's not that way. This is his nature. And his standard flows from his unchanging nature. And he, God is love, love, as we've all heard. And God's nature is holy. It's, it is uh, pure. And anyone who has fellowship with him must be the same. Sin makes us ineligible for a relationship with God. And uh, I want to read out of Romans 3. My kids who know me know that I'm not happy unless I have all sorts of junk around me. And this is the story of my life, whether it's tools or whatever. Same way here. My stuff was all over the place doing this sermon. And in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 24... It says, By now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified fully by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So this righteousness that... We need to be in fellowship with God for eternity does not come from us at all. And we can either add to it through our lives or being good. And we're talking about what I want to be clear. We're talking about salvation. And we'll get into the works as far as our eternal rewards. But right now we're talking about salvation and purely salvation. As far as you being right with God and the righteousness that you have, God has imparted that to you. You now have that. God looks at you. Your sins are forgiven. And that is a big relief. It should be a big relief for all of us. So I think that is so important that this righteousness comes from God through Faith, and we cannot add to that righteousness. <clears throat> and uh, I think sometimes the the, the confusion begins uh, in the uh, is understanding that coming and, and believing in Jesus is a a one a moment in time event. It's when you believe, and what I have read from these books in other and in, in Scripture that. When you believe in one moment of time that you trust in Christ, that the process of your salvation has now begun and it does not stop. And and this is where it gets very tricky. And, and there are people, of course, that do disagree with this. But I think, for instance, like Charles Stanley, I respect him. He has In Touch Ministries, TV, radio program. I've listened, listened to him for years. He's very Bible-based. And, and others that believe what I'm telling you this morning. And it's so important to realize that you are saved in that one moment of time. And, you're just, and your works and so forth are ongoing as far as your rewards in heaven. So once this happens, you believe in Jesus Christ. Now you are locked in. You are locked in. And I think what helps me reinforce this as far as, you know, you know, God is not bound by time. And sometimes we think very linear, like, okay, I've come to Christ, and now can I lose my salvation? Can I do something or not do something that where I will not be saved? And God will take away this free gift of salvation. There's an illustration of this lady who is in a car wreck. 
before she gets in this car wreck, she comes to Christ. She knows Jesus Christ. She is saved. She dies in the car wreck. Where's that lady going to go? She's a believer. She dies in a car. She's going to go to heaven with the Lord. Same lady, let's say she gets in the car wreck, but she survives the wreck. She has come to Christ before the wreck. She's a believer. She's in the car wreck. She survives. But through the process of surviving it, she is getting depressed. She's banged up real badly. And now she's questioning her faith. And now she's, I don't believe this God. She's now bitter at God. And so, so do you say to her or to a person, well, she should have died in the wreck. That way she'd be in heaven. Or do you say, oh my God, you know, she should have died. Maybe. But she lived and now she gave up her faith. She, she rejected Christ. And to me, that doesn't seem right. When Christ has, he has used words like promise and you are uh, sealed by him, it's something that is not taken away from you. It's yours to grab hold of for eternity. And, and I remember this, similar to the story of the lady in the car wreck, when I was a young boy, I struggled with this. Uh, uh, and I went to church, and it was taught to me at the time uh, that, boy, if you died uh, in a sinful state or if you missed church, you'd go to hell. The, the ideal scenario was that you'd, you'd, you'd confess your sins, and then you'd, the, the perfect scenario would be you, you confess your sins, step outside the church, and you'd be struck by lightning and die. Like, yes! Phew. Otherwise, you're thinking like, okay, I've come to Christ, I believe in Jesus, and now I have to live this perfect life. But you look at life, look at the people around you, look at the, the, our own lives. How many of you that professed to believe and trust in Jesus Christ, after you became to Christ, did not sin? You didn't sin. Then if you did sin, then what paid for those sins after you came to Christ? What paid for the, if Christ didn't pay for those sins too, what other sacrifice is there for you? So it, to me, it makes logical sense that salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. It's a, a sacrifice once and for all. And we struggle with this because we, as in Romans 8.23 says, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So we struggle. We come to Christ. We want to please God, but we don't. We are sinners by nature, and it doesn't. There are people that are blessed, who for some reason they give up some addiction, there some sin thing they have, and they give it up. But many of us still struggle with many sins in our lives, and our salvation will not be complete until we receive our new bodies. It is a process that works on us. We like to think that we would not have a desire to sin, no temptation to sin, but we still struggle. And if we think we can sin or do anything to lose our salvation, we're right back where we started. Right back where we started when I was a young boy wondering, am I going to go to heaven? Am I going to go to heaven? I don't know. I, I cannot know this moment if I'm saved or not. Because if you come to Christ and you're so happy, oh, I've come, all my sins are paid for, then you find out, like, oh my gosh, I could lose my salvation. 
then you're right back where you started. You don't know if you're saved or not because what is that sin? What is that thing I'm not doing? What is that thing I am doing that jeopardizes my salvation? So it is for eternity. It makes sense. And then, but to be fair, we do read scriptures that would make us believe or be led to believe that we can lose our salvation. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. I'm going to find it here. Oh. Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 6. It says, Where is it here? It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. That sounds like, wow, I could lose my salvation if I don't toe the line here. I mean, wow, those are pretty powerful words. The word repentance means to change one's mind. What we're talking about here, if I understand these authors and so forth correctly, is that you can become a believer. You can reject Christ. You can change your mind about Jesus and the example Charles Stanley used about a, a true story of a gentleman he knew who was a pastor. He was having an affair with you know, someone within the church. And he was going to leave with her. And he was told, uh, Dr. Stanley, you should go speak to him. And he did not regret going, but he went, spent maybe ten minutes with him. And Charles said, I knew that here's a man who was a pastor. He knows all the scripture verses. He knows everything. He knows what uh, God is all about, the character of God, what he can do in a person's life. But this man's mind was made up. He made up his mind. He left the church. He ran off with this lady and this woman. So in the same way, we can change our minds. We you not be bring back. So you are saved. Like I say, you are eternally saved, but a person could live... What is the bad thing is that you you have broken this relationship with Christ during your lifetime. You have chosen to walk away from Christ, and which is it's not a good thing, but you are... You know, you, you still are eternally saved. And there are, we'll get to this briefly in regard to our eternal rewards, and this is going to affect all of that for eternity when we get into heaven and so forth. So in the other um, verse that um, is similar is Hebrews 10.26. Hebrews 10.26, 26 through 31. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or more, two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace? 
There is no sacrifice for sins left. There's only one, Jesus Christ. That's the only sacrifice you have. It also, we don't want to negate the fact that sin is a very serious thing. Your life, we think of the, uh, the, the biblical uh, people of, uh, through history. Uh, look at King David. He had an affair with, uh, with Bathsheba, had a child. Because of that sin, his child died. And other sins, when David took a census, things that made his life miserable because of sin. Sin brings death. It's a bad thing. So, there again, I'm, I'm differentiating salvation. And then when you do sin, it's a very serious thing. You can affect your relationship with God here on this earth. And there are consequences. As a believer, any one of us can go out and get a, a traffic fine. We could go kill somebody. You're going to pay earthly consequences for that sin. But does that mean you're no longer eternally saved if, if someone does that? It, would, it would crosses your mind, but God says, I have sealed you. I have paid for that sin. <clears throat> and remember that the Bible never makes a distinction between what kind of sin Christ paid for, whether it's intentional or not. He paid for all sin. <clears throat> And I think I asked you this earlier. How many of you sinned after you became a believer? I think most all of us. And there again the question becomes, what sacrifice paid for that sin? Another interesting uh, topic here uh, is, uh, that I, I kind of threw in here, is who will perish? Who's going to go to hell? Because we know that there are all sorts of people in hell that have sinned. And there's all sorts of people in heaven that have sinned. So what is the, how do you differentiate the two? And the answer to that, what makes a difference between someone in heaven or hell, is in 1 Corinthians 6. No, the wrong one. 6, 9. Hmm. I don't see this being the right one. I don't have that. I must have labeled this one wrong. But in essence, it's a very short verse, but it says the difference is that they did not believe. It is their unbelief. It is not any particular sin. Because we read, I will read in 1 Corinthians what it does say about all people. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, or adulterers, or male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, and so forth, and so on. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus. Now, nowhere in all those sentences it say, that as a believer, if you, that you are going to lose your salvation because you do that. Because you've been washed. Do people struggle with those things after becoming a believer? Yes, they do. Christ died for those sins. 
and God does not want us to do those things, but we're secure in our salvation. I think because of the security, you can love God, you can love Him because it's out of gratitude that He's done this for us. <clears throat> and I think a very powerful thing is, uh, and hell is not for certain uh, for those who commit certain types of sin. Think about it. How severe would be crucifying the Son of God? Jesus was crucified on a cross. How much? Of, how big of a sin was that? And what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I mean, that's that's huge. Here they're crucifying him. He says, "Forgive them, for they don't know what they do." So according to Jesus, what must a person do to keep from being judged for sin? Must he stop doing something? Must he, be, must he promise to stop doing something? Must he never do something? Uh, the answer is so simple. All Jesus requires is that the individual believe in him. That is to trust him. We did nothing to motivate God to save us. His motivation is intrinsic and from within his nature. And why did God save us? Because he loved us, and how did he save us? And by grace. So that we might be eternal objects of his kindness. Now we, uh, we learn more of God's character through the story of the prodigal son. Most of you heard the prodigal son, and how does that story end? This, this boy did something back in the, the first, uh, first century or whenever it was that was quite unthinkable so disrespectful to the father and to the family by uh, asking for his inheritance before, I mean, because the dad's the one who says, okay, I'm going to divvy up my estate now. He asked for it, took it, and squandered it. We all, most all of us know that story. And how, the big thing is, how did the father respond to that boy? He opened him, he loved his son. In the same way, I think we are looking at God at times as the judge. Now, he is a judge, yes, but we, we need to look at him as a heavenly father. He is our father. And, and, and those of us that are father, we know what it's like to, to have kids and to love them unconditionally. And that's the way he is to us. See, God's not looking for people to throw out of his family. He wants to bring more people into his family. And we've been adopted into his family. And it's not contingent on us acting like family members at times. God finds joy in the restoration of a sinner. Salvation is not maintained by good works. It is not dependent on our faithfulness, but God's faithfulness. And so far it sounds like we live our lives any way we want. But we, can do, but we shouldn't. And here where works come in. As I said, you know, salvation is a one-time belief in the gospel by faith alone. Works are our deeds which determine our eternal rewards. When God reviews our life, or lives, and the hay and the stubble are burnt up, what remains will be of value, and we will be rewarded according to what we've done. The Apostle Paul said, But I discipline my body, bring it into sub subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. When, you first, when I first read that, I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, i got to be like the Apostle Paul. And he was martyred, and he, all he did was evangelize the whole time, so I can't live like that. This was Paul. He, he surrendered all for his Lord. 
See, Paul knew he was saved. He wasn't doing this to, to maintain his, his eternal security. He, what he feared was God's disapproval. He wanted to please his God out of a love for God. And all that Jesus has done for us, we should be spurring one another on into good works. We do it out of love and gratitude to God. And I said earlier, there are consequences for sin that we do in this life, and God wants to spare us that, as we do parents to our children. We lecture to them, we tell them, we talk to them, say, don't do this, don't do that, do this, because we want to spare them the heartache of what bad choices or sin can do. Same way our Heavenly Father does that to us. And I think a great illustration of, uh, a great picture of eternal security is the uh, story we all know of the, the sower and the seed. Um, I kind of like that one because having taken uh, greenhouse management in college, uh, I can appreciate this. If you recall in that story, seed first off lands on the hard than the path and what happens the birds come take it away and as Jesus explains the parable it is Satan takes the seeds before the word of God in this case before the word of God can come to the heart of that person and they be saved and the other three examples of on the on the rocky soil and the good soil and all those each time those seeds get germinated and they'll begin to grow. Let me see if I can find that. Uh, what I find p powerful about that in a uh, plant thing is I've learned in school that germination starts that seed to grow. And once germination starts, there is no stopping it. So that seed landed on the hard path and never had a chance to even germinate. It would, that The Word of God was stolen away from that person, never entered their heart, so that person could not believe to be saved. The other three examples is like many of us here. Some the seed may land on hard ground, we not, may not produce much. Some uh, the seed has, is just growing. You, you're sharing your faith, you're, you're being a, a great ambassador to Christ, and everyone is different in, in, in how much they do for the Lord and so forth. But each one, even though it's at varying degrees, that seed has germinated in your heart and it cannot stop growing. And in, in the same way as salvation, once you believe in Christ, that process keeps going until you're totally... Uh, you're, you're, the whole process ends when you die and you're in the presence of the Lord and you have your new body. And uh, I just love that illustration because of the germination, once it starts, it doesn't stop. And I think salvation is the same way. And <clears throat> so I guess uh, what I would say to that is um, our eternal destiny at that point is out of our hands. Once that begins, it's out of our hands. And I think sometimes we think that we can do something. Okay, I believe in Jesus, but now I have to do something more. And I want to read something uh, from Charles Stanley's book, what I think is very powerful to me, obviously. And rather than write it all down, I figured I'll read it. It says, Throughout this book we have demonstrated through Scripture and logic why nothing in the nature of God forces him to take back the gift of eternal life when a Christian sins. 
We hold, we who hold to the doctrine of eternal security are often accused of having a deficient grasp of God's holiness. In actuality, however, the opposite is true. The doctrine of eternal security is supported by the belief that God is so infinitely holy and good that there is nothing, not one thing we can do to attain or maintain our salvation. Salvation in every facet is by grace. It is a gift from start to finish. God's holiness is so far out of our league that even the best of our good deeds carries no weight in matters of salvation. The doctrine of eternal security does not detract from or reduce the holiness of God. On the contrary, eternal security allows God's holiness to stand in its purest form, free, free from the feeble attempts of man to merit divine acceptance. I mean, that is pretty incredible. And even as an imperfect earthly father, I have an understanding that I wouldn't disown my children when they sin against me or anyone else. And I knew before having children that that would happen. God knew before he made us that we were going to sin. He knew that. He had a plan. How much more would a perfect and holy father impart eternal life to his children and promise them eternal security? Why is not... I think over all this being said, I think... God's very nature, His character, is not one to pull the rug out from under us after promising us eternal life because His sin on the cross transcends all of history, all of time. He knew before He made the earth how this was all going to play out. And we just need to believe and trust in Him and in no other works or anything we can do. And you can go to bed at night like I did, a young, young boy, like... No, wow, I'm okay with my maker. He paid it all. It's huge. This, this, I never, I tell people this all the time, I never tire of the gospel message. It blows my mind. Well, I think I'm done. I know I'm done. Well, I thank you for uh, listening. And... Uh, uh, I real I know that uh, um, I don't know all the ways of saying things, but I really want to uh, just impart something. It's, it, there's nothing new under the sun. And how do you say something that? Uh, hopefully, there's something, some little nugget someone can take away. But uh, when you believe, you're right with your Maker. And uh, and as I told Marcus to. Uh, this reminds me of uh, after I'm giving a sermon, uh, the Great Awakening. So you can all wake up now. So, but I thank you very much for listening. Uh, I think uh, Sean coming up for one more song, I believe, and uh, and thank you. Well, let me uh, let me pray first. I should have done this beforehand, but uh, uh, dear Lord, we thank you for this day. Each day is a gift from you. Each day is an opportunity for us to. Uh, look around at those, those people around us, uh, all of your creation, to realize, man, there's more to life than just myself and my own thoughts of what life is. Uh, you have entered this world. You have, uh, uh, by your revelation, revealed your Son to us. And uh, we thank you so much for that, Lord. I just pray for each one here that 
that we can be rest assured and that when we believe and trust in you and you alone that uh, that we are eternally saved and that because of that we'll have a desire out of gratitude to do the good works to enhance your kingdom and to to make you famous lord we thank you again for this morning and this time in christ's name amen